invite you to kind of cast your mind back to the days before uh, cell phones. Okay, let's, let's go back even further, like before emails or pagers. Anybody carry a pager? Any of you? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's keep going back. Before, uh, before reliable snail mail systems or even before the Pony Express or the Telegraph. We're going way back, okay? There was a time when, uh, before any remotely modern distance communication uh, was possible, there was a time when you just had to wait for news. You had to wait. Um, one, of our, uh, one of our family COVID reads has been uh, Rita of Ingleside. Uh, it's part of, it's the, I think it's maybe the final book in the Anne of Green Gables series. And um, it, it, it tells the story of Anne and Gilbert's youngest daughter, Rita. Um, uh, Rilla, I'm sorry, thank you, hon. Um, and, uh, and it's set, of course, in Prince Edward Island. Um, but it's set during the First World War. And so everyone, so, so the young men have all gone off to war. Uh, three of Anne and Gilbert's boys, um, Jem, Walter, and Shirley, have all gone off to war. Um, Rilla's sweetheart, uh, Ken Ford, uh, friends from the community, um, Jerry and Carl Meredith, they've all gone to Europe as part of the Canadian Expeditionary Force as, as part of the First World War. And the families left here in eastern Canada are waiting. Now they're carrying on life as best they can, although I can hardly imagine, I can hardly imagine because there's that daily, the daily news report, What's, what news is going to come today and the constant vigilance of prayer, desiring that it would be only good news uh, that would come uh, across the waves. Uh, Lucy Maud Montgomery, author, lived through those days. She's one of the only female authors who has actually written of the experience of those days and, and re reflects the experience of 1914 to 1919, millions of women, millions of millions of women, millions of families who just waited and just didn't know what would come. This morning we're coming to Matthew chapter 25 and, and it's, it's an account of 10 young women who can do nothing but wait. And the question is, how do they wait? Uh, they are bridesmaids waiting for their bridegroom to come. Um, no cell phones. No text messages, you know, I'm sorry, we're delayed. Um, uh, no, we'll be there in two hours, you know, or we'll be there in two days. I don't know what the journey, what the distance was for them. Um, but but uh, we are guests to a wedding banquet that is yet to come, and we are waiting. And Jesus wants to instruct us concerning how to wait. Matthew chapter 24, so we've been in this Olivet Discourse. This is the final sermon that Matthew records of Jesus, uh, of five, that he records in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and he's been, chapter 24 focuses on the fact that the end is coming. With complete assurance, this world is going to be wrapped up, and Jesus has been driving this home, and we've been looking at that, at that over the past three weeks. Chapter 25 focuses beyond the that it's happening, it focuses on the what are we supposed to do while we wait? How are we to wait? What is our posture 
to be in this, in this season. And Jesus is calling, so spoiler alert, Jesus is calling us to wait actively, to be engaged with one another and our world. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna read the passage of scripture, and we're gonna kind of unpack it um, together this morning. So if you just bow with me for a moment, and we just say, Lord Jesus, um, we long to be those who, who are found ready We long to be those who are found faithful and we long to be those who are found vigilant when you return. So Holy Spirit, come and enliven your word to us that we might hear what you are saying to we, your church. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to go back up a few verses from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew, we're going to Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. If you're looking it up digitally, I'm in the New Living Translation this morning. It will be on the screen. And I'm going to read across the chapter break into chapter 25, verse 13. Uh, so here it is. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew 24, verse 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing others in his household, his other household servants, and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut that servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. So you too, uh, but he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. It's the word of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. 
In fact, he is coming for his church, and we must be ready. This has been the thrust of the entire Olivet Discourse that we've been reviewing over these past weeks. But what does readiness look like? Well, it depends on who you are. And this morning, I'm just going to unpack three different people that we find in the words of Jesus, and he has a word for each of you, and I want to invite you to find yourself in, in this crowd, one of the three. So it depends who you are, but Jesus has a word of readiness. He's got a word for the seeker of truth. He's got a word for the leaders, particularly the leaders in the church. And he's got a word for the committed, or maybe we could say the uncommitted. To them, it's a warning. Now, that's the outline that's on the sermon notes. I'd invite you, encourage you to download it from the website or go to the OIC app, and uh, you can find it quite easily there. Or We've got some printed copies at the back there. Um, Let me just say something about our sermon notes. At the bottom of the sermon notes, each week we put a passage of scripture that we suggest you consider memorizing. Uh, Maybe that is something that you need to add to your kind of growing in Jesus. It's memorizing scripture, putting it, tucking it away in your heart. If you memorized one uh, of those passages each week, you would be memorizing 54 verses through the course, or passages through the, the course of a year, all related to the things we've been studying. Do you think... Do you think Jesus would use that to, to help you grow, help you mature in him? Now, here's the other thing that, about the sermon notes. On the back of the sermon notes, we put just a few questions that are designed to help you kind of come back to this passage of Scripture this coming week. The point being that, uh, that's very sweet, uh, the, the point being that um, uh, if you can come back to something you've been studying, you, it, it, it goes deeper. It helps us grow deeper roots. So that's the point. It's there for your, uh, for your encouragement, and I just con- uh, uh, offer that to you. Now, I wanted to invite you to find yourself in this account, and then this morning, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And, and as we do so, I'm going to ask you then to do whatever business you need to do with, with the Lord as we come to the, the bread and the cup uh, together. So Jesus has three words for three different people in this passage of scripture. The first one is a word about readiness to the seeker of truth. The seeker of truth. Readiness for Jesus coming begins with acknowledging Jesus. It begins by establishing a relationship with Jesus. Let me read the verse here, verse 42. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Now, let me just say this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. I mean, in, in many of the cases, the sermons that we have recorded from Jesus, he's speaking to a crowd. Could be, it could be thousand people on a hillside. But in this case, it's at least the 12. Maybe it's up to the 70. But, but it's those who have made some form of commitment to following Jesus. They've pulled him aside, and they're on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. They're looking out across Jerusalem. And, and this is who the conversation is with. Now, so they are those who have recognized Jesus as their Messiah, sort of. Okay, so Messiah means the coming one, God come for us. And I say sort of because they're still figuring this out. Like they have come to follow Rabbi Jesus and to learn from him, but they're still, like it won't be until after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that, that they're re- it's really gonna become clear. And by then, there's only going to be 11 of them left because Judas doesn't make it. 
All right? So, so, so this is who Jesus is speaking to here. And, and the starting point is recognizing, acknowledging Jesus. That in a very real sense, these guys are true seekers. They have invested, in most cases, the past two and a half years, three years of their lives following Jesus, learning from Jesus, studying under Rabbi Jesus. They're seekers of truth, trying to understand who is the Messiah. And they're beginning to realize this is God come among us. Like this was too high priority an assignment for anyone but him to attend to. And throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew has been trying to help us see who Jesus is and then respond to him by following him, by putting him at the very center of our lives. You too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Verse 43, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least, when least expect it. You and I do not have a guarantee of tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, look, your house needs to be in order today. Take, take advantage of the opportunity that has been given to you and be that seeker of truth who comes to the place. I may not have all the answers I want, but I know this one thing. I know Jesus. I gotta follow him. I gotta follow him. The rest is gonna have to fall into place. Jesus is calling you as a seeker of truth to be ready by finding Jesus, following him. Now Jesus has a word about readiness for another group, and that is the leader, the other individual, the leader. So we're talking about preachers, elders, teachers, youth leaders, kids zone leaders. We're talking about life group leaders, anyone who gives leadership to anyone in the church, even you as you give leadership in your family. And the call is this, it's a call to faithfulness. Faithfulness to the mission of Jesus is not an optional. Faithfulness to the mission of Jesus is just not optional. Let me read it for you, verse 45. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. All right, so that's the expectation, right? That's, that's, that's what is expected of someone who follows Jesus, that they would be a faithful and wise servant of that which is entrusted to us. It's a person who carries out their leadership responsibility, little or great, but does so responsibly. He or she feeds those who are looking to them. Um, she or he brings nourishment uh, from scriptures, from their own spiritual journey, in order that those who are looking to them would be able to learn and grow and mature. In the household of faith, there would be growth and maturity. That's what families do, right? So, so kids in kids zone, youth in youth ministry, adults in life groups, we're all ministering to one another. And in that, we are serving Jesus as we serve one another, right? I mean, that should be no surprise for, for the majority of us, at least, on that one. 
So my responsibility, as I join with others who bring preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning, is that we would, we would minister spiritual food, the bread of life, Jesus himself, to you, and that your response would be acceptance and growth. But what about when this goes horribly wrong? Let me read it for you. When this goes horribly wrong, the consequences are severe. Verse 48. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a dire warning. And it's imperative that we as leaders hear what Jesus is saying here. He does not tolerate abuse by anyone in a position of power. If you're responsible for leading others, God is holding you, me, us, responsible and accountable. It's interesting that every one of Jesus' sermons that are recorded for us in the Gospels, they actually end with a statement about the final judgment, a warning that there is accountability. Uh, We're in the Olivet Discourse here, the fifth of the five in, in Matthew's Gospel, and it actually ends with three warnings concerning final judgment, ultimate accountability. And here Jesus has has taken church leaders and he's lumping them together with the leaders he faced in the first century. I mean, we just you go back to Matthew 23, uh, just like two chapters ago, one chapter ago, uh, and, and, and Jesus was in the temple on that Tuesday and the, the leaders were coming at him, the chief priests, uh, the, lead, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and, and he pronounced a series of woes against them. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you. And then he comes, then he comes to, to this, Matthew, verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And, and, and here in chapter 24, Jesus is warning these abusers. He's saying, look, you're going to be cut to pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a solemn warning. And Jesus is concerned for those who are marginalized among us, those who are powerless among us, those who hold authority or responsibility over others. So it's a concern about racism. It's a concern for the vulnerable in our children's ministries. We have our plan to protect uh, that, that is a series of protocols and safeguards intended to provide a safe space for our children, for the vulnerable, anywhere in the life of our church. But this is what Jesus, Jesus is calling us to. Paul, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, when we were in Philippians, was talking about the very same thing. The leaders who were greedy for financial gain, just trying to get ahead, just trying to build a name for themselves. Dr. Frederick Bruner writes this. He says, a life of carousing and brawling was the enviable prerogative of masters in that day. Thus what Matthew depicts is a presumptuous exchange of roles. A servant is playing master here, beating others up and partying, pretending to be a lord over others. 
friend of mine was recounting how he was in Israel a number of years ago. And uh, if we ever get a chance to do that together, one of the, the highlights is to uh, stop the coach uh, outside of Bethlehem and go into the shepherd's fields there where they're tending the sheep. He was recounting how they'd done this and uh, the, the guide was describing uh, the role of the shepherd and, and it hasn't really changed that much over the past 2,000 years. Uh, the shepherd gets ahead of the sheep and calls the sheep to come and follow him or her. And it's remarkable how the sheep come to know the voice of the shepherd. And some of you remember the words of Jesus to this very effect. Uh, the, the sheep can actually be, several shepherds could have their sheep all mingled together in a, in a pen and, and, and the shepherd calls his sheep and his sheep come. They know his voice, they follow him. Well, they had heard this, they experienced this, it was wonderful, they got back on the coach and they're heading down the road and he said, we weren't very far down the road, then when I looked out and I saw this guy behind a herd of, uh, a flock of sheep with sticks kind of shooing them along and I said, what's up with that? You just said that the shepherd gets ahead of them and the sheep follow. The guy looked out the window and he said, that's the abattoir over there, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. Jesus is calling us to call others to follow us as we follow Jesus. And those who follow Jesus uh, are emulating his humility. Uh, We're emulating his desire to serve others, to live an other-focused life. But Jesus is warning here that there will be harsh consequences for those who blow this. Dr. Grant Osborne writes, the church is warned that it too is not exempt from judgment, but must face a day of reckoning when it will be called upon to present fruit befitting the call and advantage it has received. So Jesus' words about readiness. He's speaking words to the seeker of truth. The word is be ready. Readiness for Jesus' coming begins by acknowledging who Jesus is and following him. And Jesus is speaking a word to the leader. He's saying, look, the word is faithful. Faithfulness to the mission of Jesus is not optional. And then Jesus speaks a word about readiness to, we'll call it the committed, okay? We'll put a positive spin on this one, to the committed. But here's the point. Half-hearted acceptance of Jesus will lead to rejection. Let me read it for you. Chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take long extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The door was locked. Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. They called back, believe me, I don't know you. And so you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. You've maybe heard this before, but Jesus is describing a typical first century Jewish wedding situation. Um, They they were celebrated over seven days. It was a a community event. Um, Jesus kind of sets the scene with all the common things that his first listeners would have heard and said, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
And then he puts this twist on it, which they're like, what? Uh, but, but it's that twist that really has the point that, that he needs them to hear. So, so the, the typical wedding setting, the groom would come with his attendants to the bride's home, and, and the bride would send her, we'll call them bridesmaids, her, her friends would go out to meet uh, the, 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 tra- the group, the ensemble, uh, he would, they bring him to the, the bride's house. Uh, he would receive his bride and take everybody, the whole wedding party, back to his, his, his parents' place. And that's where the community would be invited together and they would en- engage in seven days of celebration together. It was an amazing community-wide experience. Now, then specifically, these ten young women, five wise, five foolish, and, and we come to realize that this represents the church because this is, this is who Jesus has been speaking to here. Every, this, he's representing everyone who's been invited to the banquet and seems to have responded, right? And, and, but the foolish ones have done nothing to prepare for this. They, they brought their lamps, but, but they've run out of oil. Now this is the second time that Matthew records Jesus telling a parable, a story about a wedding banquet. The first one time was back in just chapter 22. Verse two the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. And the story goes on, and they go to highways and byways, and they bring everybody in, and they fill the banquet hall. And then there's a very strange passage in there where there's this one guy that comes, and he doesn't have any wedding clothes on, and he's treated very harshly, and he's thrown out. The point is the same preparation is necessary. Jesus is warning that a half-hearted commitment uh, is, uh, he's warning against a half-hearted commitment, that he's talking to the person who wants to be associated with Jesus, but doesn't want to become like Jesus. Okay, like no preparation, no growth, uh, no effort involved. And so the bride here sent her friends out to meet the groom and his entourage. Uh, The ones who were prepared, they could sleep, they could sleep peacefully, knowing that when they woke up, they'd be ready to receive the groom. Uh, that, that should have been the moment when the foolish ones looked around and said, oh my goodness, this is taking longer than I expected. Extra oil, extra oil, extra. I better get some extra oil. Um, but they didn't. They fell asleep. They, they didn't yet engage in the proper preparations. But now is the time. Now is the time to go buy oil from the sellers. Paul, 2 Corinthians 6 says, now is the day of salvation. Even the Old Testament prophet Amos said, look, today is the day to seek the Lord and live. I know we, we really like the softer words of Jesus, but very clearly here, we've got to hear some hard things that he has to say to us in order if, that we respond as well. Dr. Frederick Bruner writes this. He says, does the absence of judgment make grace unreal? I think so. Only where there is real judgment can there be real grace. Amazing grace. We sang it earlier. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Only where we know our real wretchedness before God is grace ever truly amazing. And maybe say, look, how can a loving God bring judgment against sin? Friends, a loving God must bring judgment against sin. 
or he is not loving. How can he allow for sin to go unpunished, undealt with, unaddressed? That would be a failure of justice and it would be truly unloving. The gross and horrible sins and the, I don't know, the seeming misdemeanors, sin is enough to keep me from relationship with God and it will keep me from meaningful relationship with the people around me. And Jesus is calling us to be those who prepare. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Jesus is returning, friends. He's returning for his church, and he's calling his church to be ready. Well, what does it look like? It depends on who you are, what the word that you need to receive from this text this morning is. Jesus is a word for the seeker of truth. Be ready. Readiness for Jesus coming begins by acknowledging him. And if you'd like some help in figuring that piece out, our Alpha course begins April 8th, just after Easter. We would love for you to be on the Alpha course with us and pursue just some really basic questions of who is Jesus and why did he die and, and how, how, why should I read my Bible and how, why should I pray? Just, just take, is it nine weeks? Is that right, Belinda? Ten weeks. Take ten weeks to ask the most significant question that has ever been asked. Who is Jesus? And it's corollary. What will I do with him? Seekers of truth. Leaders, leaders, the call is to faithfulness. Preachers and teachers in Sunday school, kids' zone workers, youth ministry, life. We must lead the way Jesus led. There's a requirement of humility There's a requirement to serve, and faithfulness is not optional in this. To the committed, the word is vigilance, because half-hearted acceptance will lead to rejection. The invitation to the banquet is before us, and it requires your full participation as we move toward that day. Have you found yourself in this story this morning? You heard the whisper of Jesus, maybe affirming, maybe calling, maybe correcting. Maybe you're inclined to think unkindly about Jesus and just say, look, he's asking too much. Let me remind you what he has given for you. He He has... repeatedly invited us to a table. It's a family table that he has set at enormous personal cost. We are a household of faith and you are invited to take a place at this table as a full functioning member of the family of God. And seeker, today would you acknowledge Jesus and come and take your place with us at this table? You're welcome as a member of the family of God. It begins by speaking to him in prayer. And I'm going to just invite you to bow with me. And I'm going to offer kind of a little coaching for, for each of these three people. And, and you take what's there for you. But for the seeker, it begins by speaking to God in prayer. Something like this. Lord Jesus, I need to have a relationship with Father God. And I come through you, my rescuer. I ask that you forgive my sin 
and teach me to walk with you. I want to be ready. Leaders, this is a a premium opportunity for us to examine our own hearts before the Lord. Shepherds, are are we leading? are 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 we leading the way Jesus led? Maybe pray like this, Lord Jesus, I long to be faithful. Come examine my heart, my actions, my attitudes. Come and examine me today. To the vigilant, friends, each of us desiring, aspiring toward vigilance, we don't have to be perfect, but we do have to be prepared. There's no such thing as a quasi-Christian. Lord Jesus, would you help me take steps from where I am toward you to where you are calling me to be? Friends, for some of you, that may be baptism. It may be following Jesus in obedience, in that public confession of what has been a private faith. The invitation is to come together regularly. Lord Jesus, here we are, and I'll offer this for all of us. Lord Jesus, here we are, desiring that we would receive the oil that we need for our lamps to burn brightly for you as we anticipate your return for your church.